to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. We have a special Christmas episode this week with a very special Christmas guest. I have Max Collins from the 90s band Eve Six. Welcome, Max. Thanks so much for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about Luke 1 and 2 uh, and his retelling of the, um, the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. But before we do that, I, um, I typically ask my guests when they're on uh, what they're involved in right now and um, how faith plays a role in your life. Could you uh, extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what I'm involved in for the most part is being a, a, a dad of two daughters who um, I have shared custody with. And um, so half of my week is uh, very much, you know, just being a parent for the most part. I also, aside from that, do um, a couple music projects, one of which is the 90s band Eve Six. And we have, (laughs) um, we actually just signed a new record deal and we have an EP that's coming out soon in a couple months and I think a single that's coming out in probably about a month. So, um, but all that means is once a week I go over to uh, Sweet Peas studio house in downtown LA and he pulls up like a, a track that he's recorded, guitar, bass, drums, sort of a rough thing. And then I listen to that and put words and melodies on it and record it. We, we like write and record really fast like they're not demos they're they're um you know uh like when i'm doing the vocal i'm doing the vocal that'll end up on the on the master kind of thing even though we'll replace the drums we'll have our drummer come in and put real drums on and stuff but like so that's how we do that um and then i'm doing a thing called chevy mustang with the brothers congos and uh that's like sort of a joke and uh and also sort of not i don't know what it is really we have a good time doing it people really hate it (laughs) (laughs) i think if there's if there's an indication of like a a worthwhile artistic project it's that a you're having a good time doing it and b somebody hates it yeah i i I think that's i think that's true (laughs) absolutely uh yeah it's really fun and um yeah, we do that. And so the Eve 6 EP is done. So we've been working on a full length record that's uh, sort of turning into a concept album about Ashley or Christ Lover 2K, as um, her, some people know her from her Twitter handle, friend of yours and mine. Absolutely. Um, I heard you mention the, the new album on uh, her show. Um, a couple of episodes back, and um, I was excited to hear that you were uh, recording with Eve Six again. And and then when I heard that it was like songs about Ashley, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's it's definitely um, like I think the songs are really good, and um, yeah, it's you know I don't know I don't I don't feel like I can be any sort of I don't have enough uh objectivity really to judge how people might perceive it i think maybe in some ways it's not too different from a broad conception of the 90s band eve six in that it has guitars bass and drums but uh it's pretty wildly different aesthetically um so it'll be interesting to see what people think but i gather that it seems like a lot of our fan base feels similarly uh, about kind of the production trajectory of the band as, as we do. It's like 
we were extremely young when we signed our record deal with RCA. We were still in high school. We didn't know anything. We didn't know what we were doing. We graduated high school. Two months later, went into the studio, had never been in a studio before, made a record. That record ended up being like a hit record. And uh, and there we were, you know, at the whims of this thing. And um, so I don't know really what I was getting at here. I guess just that we only kind of had so much like uh, control, I think, over um, the sound of the band and the presentation of things, which is maybe why it was a success, you know, but, mm. uh, but now we're in this place where, you know, we are, you know, blessed to have this thing that functions as, as a business, you know, when the world is normal, we go out, can play shows, uh, keep the lights on that way. And we uh, retained our, our publishing. So we're like able to live basically uh, off, off of the, you know, existing catalog. Mm-hmm. And we just want to do what we want to do now. So we're following our whimsy, having fun. Uh, and yeah, hopefully hopefully that'll translate and people will, will get it. And if they don't, that's okay too. You know, I'm sure that they will, uh, at least the ones that were connected to your music in earnest all along. Um, like, you know, I see, this is speaking as somebody who like as a nineties music appreciator, uh, (laughs) I, I see some bands that are, you know, opting to continue to make music, but continuing to make uh, or trying to continue to make the exact same music that they were making 20 years ago versus the ones that have, you know, have their base of uh, what kind of got them the fame to, to launch them off in the first place. And then now are allowing themselves to kind of spread their wings a little bit. And that I think is really beautiful because you get um, um, a more full view of somebody as an artist that way. Yeah, I think you can tell when when a band or artist is doing something they want to do and as opposed to something they feel like they ought to be doing or something or chasing something. And that always, you can just feel that it has a repellent quality to it. <laughs> I like that description. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but so, yeah, we're, we're certainly uh, kind of following our, our, our hearts with this our own little kind of North star with it and having a good time doing it Um, on like the uh, spiritual question. It's interesting because I, well, my, my mom died uh, a few months ago. She, she'd been diagnosed with ovarian cancer about 10 years ago and Mm. defied prognoses for, a decade. She wasn't supposed to live that long. And, um, before she died in, in sort of, I I think maybe, um, knowing that she was going to and quarantine in the state of things, uh, I, I had been feeling like a yearning and this is after being, I was raised Catholic, uh, you know, did it kind of went through all the obligatory phases that it seems one who was raised Catholic moves through. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of feeling a yearning for the transcendent in a way that's, that I haven't felt in a long time. I did uh, get sober uh, coming up on 15 years ago uh, through the program. And there is a, there's a God component to that, but it's very loose. And, Mm. um, and that's probably, probably a good thing and probably helpful to appeal to people who have, you know, a deep aversion to faith of any kind. 
but uh, it was definitely the way that I kind of employed that that third step, the power greater than yourself thing, was was not in any any specific context. It was a very abstract thing, and I do still carry a good deal of uh, kind of. I don't know if resentment's the right word, fear. When I was raised Catholic, I was an altar boy in Miami, Florida, Coconut Grove, Florida. We moved out here the summer before sixth grade. I think it was 1990. And my mom didn't like the Catholic church in our, in our neighborhood. So she start, we started going to different, different churches, different denominations, ended up at a Baptist church and, there was an episode there where the, the, the youth leader was, was speaking to, it was like one of those Wednesday night things. He's talking to like a group of 12 year olds. And he was like, have you ever burned your finger on a hot stove? And everyone's kind of nodding. Um, well, imagine feeling that all over your body. Uh, and now imagine that being unrelenting and going on forever and it's pitch black and you can't see anything, but you can hear, you can hear screams and yeah. <laughs> and like, so that got into my psyche, like in a, in a really, in a really deep way. And I still have this like, um, I guess fear of hell, I guess, is the just simplest way to put it, probably the way I should put it. So um, and then and then that causes confusion and antagonism. And um, but I realize when I'm staying in that place, uh, I'm really reducing uh, things to an absurd degree. It's not like I don't have awareness behind that thought or, or something I do, but it's, it's, uh, it's still there. So like, that's, that's what sort of propelled me through, that was the lifeblood of my, my like atheist, uh, uh, Chris Hitchens, YouTube debate watching. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a phase that I, I relate with. Yeah, completely. How how did it? Where where did it? Where did that land in in your in your history? Was it? Was well, the like the hellfire and brimstone, um, like fear, uh, like fear based um, missioning that a lot of churches do wasn't really something that I experienced when I was younger. But I did have like significant struggles with mental illness when I was like you know in my early teens. And this sort of coincided with this time in my life where as a Catholic, you're supposed to confirm your faith in Christ and you're supposed to, um, you know, be welcomed into this community of believers. And given that I was like suffering a great deal on, on a, you know, most days I just felt awful and I felt self-destructive and I really wanted to ruin myself. And that I think was what made me stop at least briefly um, to go, hang on a second. Wasn't there one guy that was supposed to be looking out for me? Wasn't there one guy that was supposed to be taking care of all this for me? And, um, and so that's when I kind of started to poke around into like atheist, um, uh, readings and things like that. And, and it really caught me. I mean, for several years, I was a card carrying non-believer. Um, but it is, I think most of the time it's a reaction to a terrible thing that's happening to you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it certainly was for me reactionary more than anything felt like I was, uh, it was a way to sort of like swing back. Um, but really pretty impotent and not, um, not, not helpful, you know, personally in any way. Mm. And I think that having a complete lack of belief in any sort of greater power or any sort of greater entity out there will lead you, I think, to have a much more selfish view of life 
yeah. in general. That doesn't mean that atheists are selfish. I don't want to say that because I don't really think that's fair. And I think I know a lot of atheists who are genuinely good people, yep. but it can kind of like lead you down this road of, well, nothing matters. So who cares? I can just drink all day or I can do, you know, for those of us who are predisposed to abusing substances, it can absolutely lead you down this path of, well, who cares if I live or die? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it can get really close to, to nihilism for, for people who are already inclined in their natural state to, to swing that way. I, I, I think, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, I stayed, I, I've stayed sober through like throughout my various like spiritual or not incarnations, but that that's not to say I'm like now I, I did take my daughters to, I live across the street from a, a Catholic church and they really wanted to go. And I, so I took them to a service and uh, they lasted for like, five or 10 minutes or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> my youngest one was, I, I had told them before we walked in that they had to be really quiet. And so my youngest, who's now four, she was three at the time when people would cough or whisper, she started shushing them. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great. Just trying to follow the rules. Yeah, exactly. And enforce them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, even modern Protestant non-denominational services that are like, you know, they play, you know, acoustic guitar jingles and, and you know, everybody's up and singing. And even those are difficult, I think, for kids. So Catholic um, yeah. services, Catholic masses are really uniquely beautiful, but yeah. they are, I think, to to people with attention spans that are shorter, um, kind of painful to sit through. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I mean, I do have kind of fond memories. I loved being an altar boy. Like I really, that was like really fun for me and it was, it was exciting. Uh, like, you know, putting on the robe and feeling, feeling like special and being able to light the candles and stuff. It's so you feel official and important. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I also remember being being very bored in, in mass as a kid. But I still think like it's funny because a, a good friend of mine who lives in Minneapolis, um, there in that city, I don't know if it's maybe it's like this here and I just don't know about it, but it's like musicians in Minneapolis who are between tours or gigs or whatever can get uh gigs playing at churches on the weekends and make like an insane well i shouldn't say insane living but like a really good living <laughs> like just playing a few services a week in the bigger churches mm -hmm. so i was staying out there uh making a record with him and i just went with him to one of them and the songs that they I don't know what denom denomination it would have been. It was definitely more, but it was like the acoustic guitars and electric guitars and drums and bass and like kind of pop songs that uh, are, <laughs> were all like kind of erotic. They, it, it was, it was sort of like, they were like, <laughs> they were like, uh, yeah, like erotic love songs about Jesus. And that sounded like they were written by like pop songwriters. It was just really, really funny. Contemporary Christian music is really full of that kind of trope. And, and it actually, I mean, dates back to Christian writing, like going back into the middle ages there, there's wow. been this tradition of being like, Jesus is my lover and like, Jesus is my husband or, or whatever. But they, um, in, in the modern, when you hear them in a modern context, sung by modern singers, it can come off as like, Oh, this is just like another pop song. And then hearing the lyrics and going, wait a second, this is about God. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a yeah. little um, jarring sometimes. It's cool though. I, I, I don't listen to a ton of contemporary Christian music, but there's a few artists that I, I really like. And most of them are the ones though, that, that tend to um, sort of carve out a more unique sound rather yeah. than just like mirroring, mirroring like the life church kind of um, super production 
uh, quality type yeah. of thing. That they're, they're usually a little more like on the lo-fi end or the tooth and nail kind of Christian yeah, singers. Right. I really liked that 90s band, Jars of Clay. Well, I shouldn't say I like the band. I only ever heard that one song. I don't know if you, I don't know how old you are, if you remember that. But The name sounds super familiar, but I don't know if, if the, the song itself is popping in my head. Yeah, you'd probably recognize it. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure they were, they were like full-on card-carrying Christians. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... It, it was entertaining for me just to, it's also just because like I was watching like some of the best players in Minneapolis play, <laughs> you know, even, <laughs> even if it's like that kind of thing, it's just, it's fun to watch people who are really good at their craft um, do it. So it was this sort of weird experience. That's interesting. And, and to, to be, I don't know if your uh, if your friend is a Christian or just someone that plays at Christian services, but it's interesting that someone really can kind of create a career out of um, being a part of the worship without necessarily needing to be a part of the religion. Yeah. 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 He, he, I think was um, a Christian, um, but I know that there were lots of guys who, who weren't. And like, I, I think he told me that they can make, they'd make like, if they really did it for a full year, like not going out and touring or, or whatever, that they could make like thirty or forty thousand dollars playing just church services on the weekends, which I thought was incredible. It's like the new—I mean, that's the new um, session gig, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Since like session gigs, to basically now that you can program music exactly. to sound like people are playing at session gigs, like don't exist. Exactly. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I mean, I think um, I think that this story in particular is one that for people that might not be as acquainted with the Bible as a whole thing, as a whole work, the story of the birth of Jesus is one that I think most people in some way or another has have heard before because Christmas is now like this massive consumerist holiday where we all celebrate um uh, Santa Claus for some reason, even though the, the basis yeah. of the holiday was this particular event. Yeah. So, um, I will, uh, start, uh, I'm just going to start reading and then we'll just kind of pluck out passages and talk about them a little bit. And I hope we have time to get through one. Um, I'm going to start at, at loop one, uh, Five, and I'm going to try to get through Luke 2, 7. But we're going to see, because there's a Wait. lot of material to cover here. So, Okay. Um, a birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So, for context, Zechariah and Elizabeth are mirroring an Old Testament story of uh, Abraham and his wife, who were too old to conceive. They wanted a child, and they couldn't. And God gave them a son. And here we're seeing... um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are too old to conceive, and Elizabeth was barren uh, too. So the likelihood of them ever getting a kid was just kind of not, um, it wasn't really in the cards for them. Was Abraham the one who was who was supposed to behead his son, and then at the last minute God held his hand? Yes, yes, right. that was him. Uh, after all of that, uh, after all of that trouble in um, finally getting a son, that was the sort of ultimatum that was given to him. That obviously he was given reprieve, and, right? And um, it's uh, 
we're going to see a lot of in this. So Luke, for context, Luke is like a very studious guy. Um, he's very cosmopolitan. He knows scripture really well. He knows language really well. He's kind of a city guy. And he um, so he's going to draw when he's writing, he's going to draw a lot of these parallels out, I think, and make them a lot clearer. Um, yeah. We see the the story of the birth of John the Baptist in, a, in sort of a uh, smaller version in the other Gospels, and we see the birth of Jesus in sort of a larger, more expanded version in the other Gospels. But I, I chose Luke because I really like the way that he approaches this story. Cool. Um, so, uh, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before our Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This, uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, what did you make of uh, them banning this child from drinking before it's even, like, conceived? It, it reminds me of uh, text in the big book of AA. Uh, what was it? I ignored the stern forebodings of maybe his parents. I think it's Bill Wilson talking um, when, when it came to drink. And yeah, it's interesting. Maybe there's a little bit of the collism in the, uh, in the bloodline or something. <laughs> it could be that <laughs> they're just predisposed. And even though Zechariah is a priest, um, in this time, priests were obviously um, in a higher sort of uh, holy uh, order in society, but they were largely people in society. They weren't, uh, this is not like a, a monk who's like cloistered away from people. This right. is not somebody who doesn't participate in, in the, um, in this sort of like daily goings on of their community. This is just somebody who's uh, who happens to be spiritually more well-respected. Interesting. Um, so uh, jumping back in at, at Luke 1, 16, uh, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's already got his mission this is this kid's going to be born and over the course of his life he's basically going to like prepare everyone for the coming of the lord wow they don't yet say that the, the lord will be named jesus and that he will be there there is a passage that we'll talk about i think in a little bit when we talk about jesus that sort of uh predicted his coming uh, but it wasn't really here. It's not really spelled out in that way. It's just saying, well, he's just going to be really holy. He's going to be really pious. And okay. I bet Zechariah, I'm sure, is thinking like, oh, yeah, just like his dad. You right. know, this is, uh, I'm the priest, so of course I'm going to have a holy kid. Right, right, right. Um, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, wow. which will be fulfilled in their time. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, there's not a lot of stuff that, like, really makes me laugh Yeah. in, in the Bible, but this was mm -hmm. one where I was like, oh, shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's that's hard. Yeah, that's gnarly, man. But if anybody's expected to be listening to like a holy vision or an angel, if anyone is expected to be um, obedient to the word of God, it's like you're a priest, dude. Yeah, yeah, right. Why are you so afraid? Right. But um, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. They're kind of standing outside like, hey, shouldn't he be done with the incense by now? I was just thinking, I was just thinking too, cause like, um, uh, I've been talking with, uh, with Ashley cause we both, we both have, um, you know, pretty grave, like obsessive compulsive disorder and, um, just about like 
uncertainty being the most uncomfortable thing and how like sometimes I feel like I'd rather have my worst fears confirmed and like, and know than than not know. And I guess the way that, that, that news was, was doled out, even though it was like really harsh. Um, he also knows the Lord is coming. Uh, and he also knows beyond a shadow of a doubt because he's going to be rendered speechless. So like this, the, I feel like that, that level of, of certainty is kind of a gift. Yeah. When Ashley was on, um, the show, uh, on this show, we had a lot of discussion about, um, we talked about a particular Psalm and that was one that, that had sort of these, um, sweeping, beautiful descriptions of God's love, but then at certain points also these sort of, troubling, you know, what's going on here? I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you're um, saying, God, like, help me understand. Yeah. And so then I can think of no, no better way to say, oh, okay, you're not sure about this. How about I make you mute for nine months? Yeah. Uh, If you can't talk, then you'll know. Yeah. And it's like small price to pay, actually. Like that's, that's kind of, yeah, it's a gift kind of. Yeah. And he's a priest. He doesn't need to talk, right? He doesn't he's need to just talk. spreading the incense around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually when he, um, once John is born, uh, Zechariah has this like beautiful prayer that he recites, um, that now that he can talk again, he does this like beautiful poem that sort of follows Mary's, uh, prayer that, um, kind of perfectly mirrors it. And we'll talk a little bit too once we get there about the sort of social order and the the um, the way that it plays into the ministry of Jesus going forward. Cool. Uh, at um, twenty two, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So so Zechariah can't talk, and now Elizabeth is saying, I'm just going to stay inside this entire time I'm pregnant. Mm. That doesn't sound like the best way to spend, uh, to spend nine months with a mute yeah. A mute husband and a pregnant woman. <laughs> yeah, pregnant old woman. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. But into the meat and potatoes of it, the next section is the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the sixth, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Here's again, do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. So the way that angels are described in the Bible is like really different in different sections. But there is a section of I believe it's Revelation where they describe angels as having like four faces, one like human face, one bird face, one like Whoa. wolf. I mean, it's it's totally like bear face. And oh, I'm so mad at myself for not remembering this. But like, of course, these people are terrified because they're these angels. Are, they look terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So I had to look up the name Jesus. Like, we just know Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. So there doesn't... I'd never really stopped to, like, read about the etymology of that name. Mm. And Jesus, which is sort of like a a uh, rewording or renaming of Yeshua, which is like Joshua. Uh, And that name actually has its origins in the word... um, uh, someone who saves or wow. someone who guards. Wow. So like the name here is meaningful in that Jesus is coming to save. Um, what they don't really, I feel like 
everybody who talks about the the story of Mary's like immaculate conception and and how it was predicted in the Old Testament uh, in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah seven. Uh, they talk about how a, a virgin will give birth and the, and the child will be called Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. And they say what a what a beautiful, miraculous thing it is that they predicted predicted this you know years and years and years ahead of time. But um, I it's kind of gave me pause because I went well they were wrong, right? Did they did they just get it wrong, or do you think that this is some kind of like greater um, greater meaning or a reinterpretation of what was originally said? Yeah, I don't know. I um, I'll ask. I, I feel like I, I ask a lot of impossible questions of my guests, and so I'm sorry if there's any point. In which you go, <laughs> well, how the how would I know that? No, this is great. I'm 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 really enjoying this, and I'm enjoying listening to you read. And it's kind of yeah, it's just put put putting me in a in a nice place. So if I start to be a little more. Um, uh, if I start to seem scatterbrained or I'm jumping between books too much and you need me to, to, to slow down, just tell me. Okay. Um, so uh, at 32, uh, verse 32, he will be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Uh, David was obviously the, the ancient king who um, is not literally the father, but is part of the lineage of Jesus and David. Mary is actually a descendant of King David. Oh, wow. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she is questioning, mm-hmm. right? She's not saying, okay, fine, but she's not saying, um, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? She's, she's not just saying, asking, how are you going to do it? Yeah, she's not saying... She's not saying that's impossible. She's just saying, but I'm, but I'm a virgin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How could that possibly be? Yeah. Explain it to me. There's, yeah. um, there's like some disagreement, I think in, um, in the like language that people use for the word virgin is actually in some like debate, I guess, because of the original, the original text in Isaiah seven that is predicting this virgin birth, there's actually some translations that don't say that it's going to be a virgin that, that gives birth to, to the Messiah at all. Some of them just say young woman. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's, um, it's important, I think, to, I don't ever want to just like be calling into question the validity of like the story of the Bible, uh, just for the sake of it. But the more I feel like I learn about this stuff, the more I feel interested in like getting to the, the real, the, getting to the, the, the meaning of it. Yes. Um, so uh, at verse 35, the angel answered to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born. Will, the, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's like, okay, yeah, uh, put a baby in me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can really relate to even to, to, you know, any of the people that, that get visited by an angel in this way, because, you know, I have, I don't know, um, like when the last time that you prayed was, but, you know, I pray on a daily basis. And when I do, like, I do feel like I have some sort of connection, but I've never heard words. Mm. Um, I've never been told that I have a mission, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly me neither. I, uh, you know, I don't remember specifically the last time I prayed, but um, I, what it usually, it's usually very short and just sounds like, help me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's, it's sort of a really brief kind of moment of, of surrendering and, um, and yeah, asking for help, which... I do tend to 
feel some, you know, relief from. Um, and yeah, I guess that was, you know, in the Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean, that's like a big part of the thing. It's like, you're, you're asking this power greater than yourself to help you do what you cannot. And it's, and it's vague. Um, the, the, description of the power is vague because all that's really necessary to complete the 12 steps is that you admit that you are not God, that you, that your, all your best efforts got you here basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, basically the part of, and I've never been to like an AA meeting before, but from what I understand from like depictions of them in media and things like that is that you're basically like when you're there, you're unburdening yourself of the, the trials and the tribulations that you've had. And that's like largely what prayer is, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, there is. I mean, media does really get it wrong. Uh, like, I feel like I have, I can't remember what it was now. I feel like I've had one experience watching something that was a uh, an AA depiction that I thought, oh, that's actually pretty, pretty close. But yeah, usually it's, yeah, it is just totally confessional um, and people talking about, um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of like, woe is me. My life is, is awful stuff. And that's not real. That's not what it looks like, although it can sometimes, but Mm. it's a lot more, um, you know, if you're, if you're brand new and you can't stay sober, I, I have managed to stay sober for X amount of time. Here's how I did it. Um, at least the meetings that I liked were more like solution based, even though I do see the utility also in being able to just, I mean, especially when you're newly sober to just vent and, and yeah, just scream into the void. Like that's important too. (laughs) It seems fitting then that I think a lot of those groups um, meet at churches, right? Because like, that's kind of the purpose of church community too, is to, to be a resource for people, a spiritual, in the yeah. case of churches, it's usually like, well, I really struggled with sin this week. You know, here's something that I did that I didn't feel good about. And, yeah. and they'll kind of pat you on the back and say, it's all right. You know, it's all right. Yeah. You're, you're, we are all human. We're all fallen. We all struggle. And, and here's how we might do better next time. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, in this next section, Mary, pregnant Mary, visits pregnant Elizabeth um, and, and again, remember they're related. So there's, there's like a familiarity between them already, but now they're both going through this like immaculate thing. Um, in one case, Mary, who was a virgin, uh, was spontaneously impregnated. And then, um, Elizabeth, who is old and barren, uh, is also spontaneously impregnated and really in the scale of miracles, it's essentially the same miracle, except for the end result, uh, obviously when, when, Mary gives birth, they really learn, um, what the magnitude of it is. Right. So in verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That sounds like a familiar phrase for those of yeah. us that have said the Hail Mary before. Yeah. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So I don't, I mean, I've never been pregnant and I never will be, but, uh, it seems like having a baby jump around inside of you would be massively uncomfortable. Yeah, that's gotta be. (laughs) I mean, I've been in proximity to, uh, people who have babies jumping around inside them and, and it it sure seems like it, it can be, it can cause some discomfort. The, um, that the language that they use here is like, uh, the baby did it like a backflip. It's like, oh, it seems like kind of dangerous, dude. <laughs> yeah. So um, Elizabeth kind of pours her heart out to Mary and says, like, you're, you know, this is so beautiful. And like, I, the honor is mine that you've come to visit me. And and so Mary just says, she responds, she like breaks out into song in this very like musical theater kind of way. 
Mm. Uh, this is a prayer that they've, they've dubbed the Magnificat, which is, um, they called it that because the word um, magnifies is used, or Magnificat is like a word that's used in the first line of the, of the prayer. Um, but Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For below, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Uh, what was your first impression of this little poem that she recites? Um you know what? It kind of went by me because my cat started scratching the top of my hand and <laughs> <laughs> actually drew some blood. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't retain uh, much of it at all, but so um, let, let me hear your take. Well, uh, the thing that stuck out to me and I kind of referenced this earlier on was that um, uh, she saw she says god uh, brings down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate and that is what's happening with zechariah and with mary zechariah mm -hmm. who held this high position in society who was um you know a priest that was well regarded and well respected uh is now made to basically shut up for 9 months um, while Elizabeth like bears this miraculous child and Mary, yeah. who was sort of like this humble person, uh, who I think was a, a genuine believer in God and knew some scripture. And you can kind of see there's a few parallels here between this prayer and pieces of um, Psalms. Um, but uh, she's saying that, you know, like I, this humble person has been, have been elevated now to be the, you know, the bearer of Jesus into the earth and uh, Zechariah, who, you know, is the father of John the Baptist, is is made to um, humble himself before, essentially before her. Yeah. And um, the the really odd thing about this last section of uh, in, in verse 56, it says Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So she didn't just go for like a visit. She was like staying with him for a long period of time. Um, and, and assisting the elderly Elizabeth probably with like, you know, tasks. Being, yeah, being super old and being pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so sweet of her because she's pregnant herself. I mean, it can't be, you're up and around, your, 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 your belly is full with the, with the son of God. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure was kind of a bear of a pregnancy overall. It must have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in verse 57, the birth of John the Baptist. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they, they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Obviously that was the call that they had when the angel came to them was you, you got to name him this. It's like not even a choice. Okay. Um, so they said, okay, we're going to call him John. I didn't do any etymology on the name John. I feel like there's probably something there too, but um, they said to her, none of your relatives are called this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and stone. And because he's still mute, they haven't named him John yet officially. So he still okay. can't talk, even though the kid's born. And he, and he writes down on this tablet, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And wow. can you imagine like being muted by God for nine months and immediately like not coming out of it? And, and just like, maybe this is just me as like a, a fallen human being. Yeah. But just being like the first thing that would come out of my mouth would be like, fuck, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But his his first inclination was to was to praise God. Yeah. 
Good man. Yeah. <laughs> Better than me. Uh, it's uh, verse 65. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So Zechariah then has a prophecy. He's not really known as a prophet, I don't think, at earlier parts of this book, but he has now, you know, witnessed God at work. And so he he speaks this prophecy where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So that's beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? And yeah. they, they speak of the light. I think the light, the sunrise, Jesus is always called like the light of the world. So I think he's kind of saying that this, because of what John will do, Jesus will be able to save everyone essentially. Right. Um, so now we're, we're at the main event. Um, this is Luke 2, um, in verse 1, the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is like a census. Okay. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. I probably butchered that name. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Joseph is Mary's husband, Jesus' father. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So um, so they weren't yet married, Mary and Joseph. They were no. betrothed. Yeah. yeah, that's the interesting thing too, because in, um, in another version of this story, in another gospel, there's actually this kind of like torment of uh, Joseph being like, I don't know if I can do this. Like she's she's supposed to be a virgin and she's pregnant. Like, and I just, I mean, we're just engaged. It's not like we're married. Like maybe, maybe I should just like let you go and, and do this, take this, this journey yourself. And ultimately he's, he's given this reassurance that it's not, uh, it's not what you think, bro. And so, so where is that? Where is that part of the story told? Like, is it in a certain language or something or no what? no it's it's just in one of the other gospels i believe it's uh, matthew actually oh, let me I, see if i, I see. can find that passage but the um the um there are see these the four like main gospels uh matthew mark luke and john all kind of hit the same story line although there's like kind of discrepancies between these uh between these like stories a little bit and obviously like luke because he was like more of a researchy surveyor kind of guy he was really trying to to create like as much of a narrative kind of story as he could okay whereas other gospels seem to focus more on the how do i put this the sort of like meditative i know what i mean um, metaphorical kind of qualities of it yeah right um, yeah, because you would think, you know, at that time, like, 
<laughs> like the honor society that they were living in that, um, yeah, having a pregnant, uh, you know, partner that you're going to get married to, but not yet married to would might, might be like a scandal. It would absolutely be. And the fact that they don't really discuss, that's what, I mean, kind of cracks me up about um, Luke's gospel is like, he goes so hard on certain topics mm-hmm. and then in others, he just kind of like skirts back. Like, even the actual event of Jesus being born just seems like kind of anticlimactic in the way that it's described. <laughs> that's really funny. There's not like this, like uh, the seas, you know, the seas part and the sky opens up and, <laughs> and uh, you know, all these incredible things and the angels sing. And actually you do get a little bit of angel singing uh, in the, in the next section, but um, it just like, okay, well she gave birth and well, there wasn't any room in the, in the inn, So they, they laid him in the manger. Right. And that's all. the um the the inclusion too i think of the the uh, census that caesar augustus is doing like to me reinforces how much luke seems to be preoccupied with social status Mm. and like political goings-on at the time even though i don't think we covered a ton of that in here um there, there seems to be this like, well, not only are, are, is all this like groovy, holy stuff happening, but there's also like a government in place and people are actually like paying taxes. And, and um, that's, I think what this census was about was making sure that everybody was being properly taxed. Yeah. Cause it seems kind of inconsequential, but I, but I guess it's not cause it, it probably fits into the, you know, into the narrative about, um, you know, the, the wealthy being humbled and the humble rising somehow. And that's really like a core quality of Jesus's um, ministry once he starts to preach is, um, you know, leveling the playing field or, or bringing the least of us up to where the rest of us are yep. and um, making sure we're taking care of the poor and making sure we're taking care of of the weak and the, and the crippled and, and things like that. Right. Um, there, there was one more thing I wanted to mention because I thought going full circle in, um, I talk a little bit about the like lost books of the Bible or books that were cut out of the canonical, uh, texts when they kind of all put this together as one like hard book. Right. Um, Which fascinates me just that that happened. There's so much too. I mean, like so many writings, but um, there is a gospel of, of the birth of Mary. And there is a section in that. And, and again, I don't really know why they cut it out. It could have been total crap, right? There's a chance that it was just like some guy who was trying to write a a nice story and there Mm -hmm. was no historical background to it whatsoever. But um, in that particular story, an angel actually visits Mary's parents before she's born and huh. is and tells them, you're going to have this kid now, and she's actually going to give birth to the the son of God. Wow. And what, I mean, the thing that I thought was like, there's two reasons why. I mean, obviously they could have just cut it out because there was no, there was nothing factual about it and it was just a nice story. But it did kind of crack me up that like maybe they cut it out because it, um, it like ruined the narrative structure of what was going on in the gospels. Right. <laughs> like we can't it, go back. It kind of blows it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you can't have the first book be about a woman. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, well, I, I don't think we have a ton of time left. So, um, this was really cool. Thank you for uh, sitting here and reading the Bible with me. It's it's really been my pleasure, and I'm really glad we could do it, and glad to know you, and and uh, yeah, this has been great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you um, you have different projects going on. Do you want to plug anything right now that people can find you on? I know your your Twitter presence is uh, is uh, infamous <laughs> and amazing right now. You're you're so active and and very very funny. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, just, I guess just that um, we do have an Eve Six rep, uh, EP coming out in a couple months with a with a record to follow that. That's really really about it. My my I tweet from the at Eve Six account, um, and it's funny that we were, that there was um, talk of virgins and 
well, one in particular and virginity, because that's kind of been, it's kind of been the central focus of my uh, social media presence for the last 48 hours. You know, it's funny that you, you bring that up because that was the first thing that I, when you said, like, uh, I was, I was literally a virgin when I wrote the heart in a blender song. I, I like chuckled and I was like, Oh, like a virgin brought something amazing into the world for people. And that's amazing. I think I tweeted that back at you and somebody else was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. That was, (laughs) that was my, that was an incredible tweet by the way. And, (laughs) and, uh, uh, I mean yours and that, that person who responded is, is so weird because he was my best friend in Miami. So in elementary school, so grades three through five, we went to a second language magnet school together. And um, we were like the only two white kids in, in the school. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but not much because it was like all Cuban expat families who wanted their kids to retain the the language. Um, And uh, we both um, ended up moving out to LA and like being, band guys it's just really kind of funny do you speak spanish you know i was i by the time i left that school which i guess was after the fifth grade i could pretty much understand everything that i heard and i could speak um i could speak well but i was i was shy Um, and I've pretty much lost it all. Like every once in a while I'll surprise myself and, and something will come up if I'm talking to a Spanish speaking person, but, um, it's, it's really sad. I mean, I think I'd have to go if I did the immersion thing and went and like stayed in Mexico city for a few months or something like that. I I could probably maybe glean it quicker than someone who didn't have the background I do. But the crazy thing is my dad was was born in Lima, Peru. Um, and Spanish was his first language. Um, he didn't speak any English when he moved to like, um, Hastings on Hudson, uh, New York when he was like four or five years old. Oh, wow. And, um, and he had it teased out of them, you know, cause he was like this blue eyed redheaded kid who didn't speak English. And it was like, um, you know, he was made to feel weird for that. Um, so kind of a similar thing, but yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the Christ lover EP. Oh, uh, so the EP is not about Christ lover. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, although she did take the photograph that will be on the cover of the EP. Um, but the full length album is, is the one that has, at, at this point, about four songs that are um, Christ lover songs, and you know, it remains to be seen how ma- how many you know the writing process is still still going on. So we'll see. Wow. Well, yeah. I I wouldn't have had this opportunity to to speak with you today and to have you on the show if we didn't have that mutual connection. So I feel really blessed to to know you both, and yeah, uh, thank you again. Thanks so much, Snoopy. Appreciate it. All right, I've got uh, my poem for this week uh, is uh, called Soliloquy. It's by Robinson Jeffers. August and Laurel have been content to speak for an age and the ages that follow. Respect them for that pious fidelity. But you have disfeatured time for timelessness. They had heroes for companions, beautiful youths to dream of. Rose marble-fingered women shed light down the great lines and you have invoked the slime in the skull, the lymph in the vessels. They have shown men gods like racial dreams, the women's desire, the man's fear, the hawk-faced prophet, but nothing human seems happy at the feet of yours. Therefore, though not forgotten, not loved, in gray old years, in the evening leaning over the gray stones of the tower top, you shall be called heartless and blind and watch new time answer old thought, not a face strange nor a pain astonishing, but you living to be layered in the rock that sheds pleasure and pain like hailstones. 
Thanks, everybody. No one.